And a good Saturday morning to you. Welcome to another Wine Chat with our friend from Haskell's, Jack Farrell. Good morning, Jack. Hi, Denny. How are you this morning? I'm doing well. I hope you are, too. And uh, it is a gorgeous, going to be a gorgeous day today, the whole weekend, in fact. The sunrise this morning was spectacular. All red in the sky, just absolutely beautiful. All right. What are we going to talk about today? Tonight I thought I'd talk about, or today I thought I'd talk about America and wine. You know, Americans sometimes have an inferiority complex when it comes to wine, and we really shouldn't. Uh, You know, when this country was discovered by the Vikings almost a full millennium ago, they called it Vinland because there were vines everywhere, grapevines. Unfortunately, that particular grape did not make a very good wine. But we've been making wine. The first vineyard was planted in the mid-1500s down in Florida. didn't succeed very well. But the actual vineyard uh, in the continental United States, commercial one, was in the 1600s. And today, what is New Mexico? Uh, So we've had a long history of being involved with wine. What we really had was a terrible hiccup called Prohibition, where for 12 years, uh, no alcohol was available, or very little. And uh, after Prohibition, the, the hangover, if you will, uh, kind of designated wine for effete snobs or poor immigrants. Those were the people that drank wine. Well, then World War II changed all that. Tens of thousands of Americans went over to Europe and saw wine as an everyday beverage and came home liking the idea. And then in the 70s, the young flower children, etc., wine became their drink of choice. And with the popularity of those sweet wines at the time, uh, it was people were drinking wine and becoming more familiar with wine. Some of those wines today you wouldn't want to have because they're so sweet. But the fact of the matter is, it got people to drinking wine. And today, it's remarkable. We are the number one consumer in the world of wine. No one consumes as much wine as the United States. We're the fourth largest grower of wine in the world. Uh, Italy, France, and Spain are uh, one, two, and three. Well, actually, Italy, Spain, and France are one, two, and three. And then U.S. is fourth. Uh, We have in the United States over a million, almost a million and a half acres under cultivation of vineyard land. Uh, We, for sure, in the United States are the number one for research and development on wine. And the number one wine school for the entire world. Everybody, if you've got a vineyard in Italy or one in New Zealand or you're trying to grow wine, in one of the Soviet, former Soviet republics, you want to send somebody from your place to the University of California, Davis, because that is the number one fountainhead, really, of all wine research in the entire world. And it's remarkable. You know, we've gone from uh, not too terribly long ago, there was wine only in, I think, 11 states' wineries. Today, all 50 Uh, Even Hawaii and Alaska have commercial vineyards in the different states. It is really remarkable. Uh, 90% of the wine in the United States comes from three states, California, Oregon, and Washington. And it it really was 
just a remarkable achievement to move up so fast uh, around the world with wines. And the good news is, of course, wines that are produced in America are in a par with wines from all over the world. Uh, there was a, a 40 years ago in uh, 1976, there was a tasting, a competitive tasting in France hosted uh, by Michael. Anyhow, it isn't important who hosted it. But he hosted this tasting where they took California wines and compared them to the great French wines, great white burgundies with Chardonnay, great uh, Bordeaux with Cabernet. And guess what happened? The American wines won every category they were in. And, of course, uh, it, it caused a hubbub in France, as you might expect, and was disowned by all the commercial interests in France that the uh, testing was rigged, etc. But what it did is it opened everybody in the United States' eyes. They all of a sudden weren't apologetic anymore with their wine. They felt they were on an equal footing with the great wines of the world, and indeed they were. They bested all of these French wines and did so... Uh, in a very definite way, unfortunately, like I said, all of the French coat uh, judges that were in it uh, made all sorts of excuses why it wasn't uh, proper tasting, et cetera, et cetera. But it was. And like I say, the most important thing it did is it gave confidence to American vintners that they could indeed produce wine on a world stage. And, of course, one of the forerunners of that whole movement was a Minnesotan Robert Mondavi. He was born in Virginia, Minnesota, and that's where he's, where he's from. And he went out to, with his father and mother out to California and eventually in 68 started Robert Mondavi Winery. And that was his mantra, if you will. American wines can be the best in the world. And he was touting that for a good eight or nine years before this French tasting. And the French tasting gave Bob great deal of credibility and gave the wines of our country a great deal of credibility. And it's great because, you know, the founding fathers envisioned wine as an everyday beverage, believe it or not. They drank Madeira and Claret. Those were their, their number one consuming wine they consumed was Madeira. And number two was French Claret or Bordeaux. Thomas Jefferson said, no nation is drunken where wine is daily beverage. And he tried to grow vines for a long time and on his estate at Monticello. And unfortunately, he was growing American grape types, and they didn't really do very well. There was an epidemic that came along in the late 1800s called phylloxera. It's, phylloxera is a root louse, a little bit like an aphid, only it attacks grapevines. And it decimated the vineyards of the world. And, of course, it was an Ameri It was sent over on American rootstocks. Well, so we, we were blamed for spreading phylloxera in the wine world. Well, we sent them the cure. Native grape types, and as I said, going back to the Vikings calling in Vinland, we had lots of those. Those native grape types, those roots, were totally resilient to phylloxera. So what they began doing is grafting European wines on American rootstock. And today, when you go to any vineyard, almost anywhere in the world, you will find them all grafted onto American rootstock to prevent phylloxera. 
there's only a few places in the world where this isn't done. Chile was sort of protected by the Andes Mountains and the ocean, and it never got phylloxera. But the rest of the world all got it, and so today, very few vineyards in the world are not grafted onto American rootstocks. And, you know, it's interesting that we've become a world player in the wines. A Constellation, a wine company here, has properties in Australia. Gallo, the Gallo family, has properties in Italy, Argentina, Spain, Chile. Uh, and not too long ago, Gallo, uh, well, it's 10 years ago now, I guess, uh, Gina Gallo married John Claude Boisset. It, we laughed in the wine business whether it was a marriage or a merger because Boisset is about a number six or seven in the world. And, of course, Gallo is way up there, too. You know, we're so fortunate in the United States. Most people don't realize the fact that we have the best selection in the world of wines. Uh, and and your own confidence in wine is something to think about. Most people say, well, I don't know much about wine. Well, chances are you've tasted a Riesling. You've probably tasted a Chardonnay. You've had some rosé. Uh, you probably had a Chilean wine. You know, most people in wine areas don't drink much wine outside their own area. Um, I always remember being in Bordeaux many years ago, and I talked to some guy about Muscadet, one of my favorite wines to have at fish. Well, he never heard of it, never had it, and he's probably not three hours away from the Muscadet vineyards. But he concentrated strictly on Bordeaux, and he was very knowledgeable about Bordeaux. He could sniff a glass of Bordeaux, and he could tell you right away where it was from and its pedigree, etc. But he had never tasted wine grown just a mere two and a half to three hours away from where he was. So it, it's a real thing that we do know a lot about wine in this country, even if you don't think you do. And if you're going to learn about wine, it, it enhances your experience. Believe me, there's some great books on wine. That Wine for Dummies isn't bad. Hugh Johnson's Atlas on Wine is something I think everybody should have if you have any interest in wine, because it's maps of all the wine-growing areas all over the world. And this new updated book even has vineyards in China and Russia, etc. It's uh, well worth to get. And as I said, once you've begun to learn a little bit about wine, make a note here or there, that type of thing, you're going to find, in my opinion anyway, you're going to enjoy wine a little bit more. Uh, when you're tasting wine, it's real simple. There's five things you look for. Color. Is the color clear and fine? Then the nose. And when color, you want to make sure the wine isn't cloudy, too. Then the nose. Does it smell like wine? Then we get a little more difficult. We get into aroma. Aroma is, if it's Cabernet, does it smell like Cabernet? If it's Pinot Noir, does it smell like Pinot Noir? Then the taste. You put it in your mountains and taste it. And that is an explosion. And then the aftertaste. That's the five things. And whether a wine is graded 100 points, 20 points, 10 points, whatever, those are the five things it's based on. And as you can see, two of the five have to do with your olfactory lobe, smell. You know, the mouth can only distinguish sweet, sour, uh, and uh, bitter. And the, but your nose can uh, 50, 100,000 things. Uh, you can tell with your nose. In fact, it, 
knows, but sometimes you'll smell something and bring back a memory because that's how acute your sense of smell is. So when you're judging wine, that's a very important part of it. And then the aftertaste is also important. What is What kind of a taste does it leave in your mouth? Well, anyway, you, I think you see where I'm coming from, or I hope you do. American wines are really a marriage made in heaven. We're becoming a world leader. Well, well we are a world leader in the production of wine. Uh, and, and now we have years and years of tradition, after all, Prohibition's been over almost 90 years, so we've had a chance to really get over, I think, the hangover of Prohibition and move on with our lives, and that means trying lots of new wines. And speaking of trying new wines, Ted Farrell has picked a new Fall for Six, six for 60. That's where you get six bottles of wine for 60 bucks at Haskell, and it's a fall promotion. He has picked a Koala Ranch Syrah from Australia, Great wine for fall. Red Autumn Chardonnay from California, delicious. My favorite Viognier in the whole world is La Forge, and what a wonderful wine that is to have in the fall. A little Cote de Rhone, Chateau d'Anville, which is a state bottled Cote de Rhone. Standing Goat Cabernet and Chateau de Lorte Bordeaux. Six wines from different parts of the world, all delicious, all guaranteed to marry well with whatever you're going to have in the autumn days and it's only 60 bucks so that's not a bad deal and it's a great way you know when i talk about tasting wines etc to try those six and see the difference in all of them you'll be absolutely delighted and you will have learned a little something too absolutely and the best place to get it and the only place you'll find that great deal is at haskell's Indeed, the folks at Haskell's love to talk about wine, and they love to marry wine with different dishes of food. And the best part is they'll help you pick a wine that will not break the bank. There's a Haskell's near you where you can save big dollars on wine. There's a Haskell's in Bloomington, Excelsior right at the Excelsior Dock. There's a Haskell's in Faribault right off of 35. Our super seller up in Maple Grove is not to be missed, 22,000 square feet of wine. We have a Haskell's at Ridgedale. There's a Haskell's in downtown Minneapolis where there's free parking on Saturday and Sunday. There's a Haskell's in Plymouth, St. Paul's Highland Village, Stillwater, White Bear Lake, and Woodbury, too. And if you can't come into Haskell's, go to Haskell's.com. And don't forget, we do deliver, and we also, you can call up and we'll have it ready for you to take home. Easy peasy. Absolutely. Jack, have a great week. Stay, uh, stay cool on this nice summer week, and we'll talk next week. Denny, I'm going to look forward to that. Thanks. Jack Farrell from Haskell's.